With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Big Ten Football Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Zach Guggenheim. We are going to be talking about the Pinstripe Bowl, and we're also going to be talking exclusively Rutgers with Larry Crane from Nightwatch. Larry, welcome to the show. Zach, thanks for having me. It's an absolute pleasure to be joining you on the show. It's exciting. You know, one of our uh, mutual listeners, Sean, uh, connected us, and so I'm excited. Rutgers has had a great season, so I'm excited for you to go a little bit more in-depth on that. And then of course we've got the pinstripe bowl to talk about. So before we, we get into anything, let me just remind you guys, if you follow us, uh, you can follow us anywhere, Apple, Google, Spotify, uh, you can follow us on podcast. This is going to be on YouTube as well. And Larry, I'm going to give you a chance to, to kind of plug your show. Where can we find you? So my show is exclusively on YouTube. It's called Night Watch, you know, spelled like a night, like a scarlet night. And it's Night Watch with Larry K. So real simple on YouTube. Very cool. And definitely make sure well, I'll give you a little bit more information at the end of the show uh, about when he when Larry posts. Um, Larry, I'd love for you just to tell us what's it been like for you as a Rutgers fan and now analyst and how what has it been like for you over the years to to follow this team so you know initially when I, I kind of what what sparked my you know being a native New Jersey and like most people in the 90s and whatnot as a kid I didn't follow Rutgers all that much other than oh we have relatives that had gone to school there or whatever because the football team wasn't you know gaining a lot of attention for obvious reasons but when Greg Schiano got here and you know they started getting competitive in 2005 uh, and then obviously broke through in 2006 with the you know epic Louisville game. And people harp on that game, but really subsequent to that Louisville game for several years, we were a formidable team where we were going bowling and we were going to different bowls. And it was something to cheer for, the tailgating atmosphere. It was a lot of fun. Uh, and then when Greg left, went to the Buccaneers, obviously, after his first stint, we had Kyle Flood come in, our first year in the Big Ten, 2014. Respectable year, went eight and four overall. That includes the outer conference, uh, some memorable games, memorable bowl game, quick lane bowl, beat UNC. It was kind of fun then, but then it really started to be difficult, you know, and in the last several years, really before this year, quite frankly, were tough to go through. I'm a, I'm a passionate fan. I was in school at points of that graduate school at Rutgers, would still go to the game, still tailgate, but Got to the point we would tailgate and not even go into the game the last few years. Wow. So this has been a fun year because respectability has returned, and, and that's nice for folks like me. 
Yeah. And that's, you know, it's funny that that early big 10 entry Yes. I think there's a lot of a lot of promise, especially I think Gary Nova was the quarterback. He was at, at last season. And they had a great season. And I think what people forget, the Big Ten as a whole was down and Rutgers was good. Yes. Michigan was down. R- yeah, and I think Rutgers declined a little bit and the Big Ten got better. You had Jim Harbaugh come in, James Franklin, who, you know, you can say what you want about James Franklin he's made them a perennial top 25 team again. And, and they're in the East, which has just been a bear of a division. And so to get six and six uh, is, is just really fun. You were telling me uh, before the show, how you got into covering them uh, on YouTube. Tell us a little bit about that journey because you, you also started as a writer as well. Yeah. So actually I had been, you know, involved in audio and audio engineering, things like that for a while, took broadcasting classes and, undergrad because I was a communications major for a little bit and I write I like to write just I write for a periodical here in New Jersey Newark New Jersey called the Newarker Uh, and somebody from on the banks which is a well-known Rutgers coverage site uh, Aaron Brightman who now runs um, the Scarlet Faithful which is another YouTube podcast sent out kind of a, a a call for talent anybody who has writing background interested in covering the team send me a writing sample send me a resume I answered the call kind of on a whim Aaron liked it, and I started writing for On the Banks. This was a few years ago. Really enjoyed the sports coverage and and things of that nature. I enjoy getting on the microphone, interacting with people. So decided maybe about a year and a half ago to start my own channel, which was Nightwatch, obviously, on YouTube, to give more Scarlet Knights content out there and to kind of combine my coverage that was in writing with just, you know, speaking and and analysis on video and on audio. And now I pretty much exclusively do night watch for my Scarlet Knights coverage. Very cool. Very cool. Well, we're excited. We're going to get a little bit more into the weeds now. Um, So I think first off, Greg Shiano, I believe just got a big extension. He did. Um, What, what is the, the overall mood of the pro? Cause obviously Greg Shiano came back Mm -hmm. and that was, that seemed like it was a, a big deal. And I think people were wondering, okay, but he was in the NFL, didn't necessarily go well. Then he was at Ohio State, and that didn't seem to end super well. And, and no. some of that was him and Alex Grinch, um, the whole Tennessee thing. And then he's he's back at Rutgers. So you're like, is he still going to be Greg Schiano of 15 years ago? Well, now he has this extension. He has this season. You know, you're already talking about it, but what would you say the mood is like around the program and around Greg Schiano? I think so. Initially, it was it was interesting when we parted ways with Chris Ash, and we were going to hire the next head coach. There were some you know rumors and mumbling that we weren't going to go the direction of Greg Schiano, although Greg Schiano was interested in the job. And it was a interesting, really a heck of a push by even you know the governor of New Jersey, the fan base, big donors to say we want Greg Schiano. And I think the reason was. Yes, there's a nostalgic component to that, right? Like he brought us to heights we hadn't been previously in his first iteration as coach. It was a different world back then, though, for a lot of reasons. I think that people understood Greg Schiano has a certain tact and a certain skill set and a certain cultural fit for the state of New Jersey, you know, that Rutgers is not an easy place to navigate as a head football coach, not bureaucratically, not administratively. 
the state. You have the potential to get casual fans to pay attention to Rutgers in New Jersey. And then if you're ambitious and we've seen it a little bit when we're good in New York and Philadelphia, but you don't start off from there, right? It's not the same as some of these other state schools in the Midwest and elsewhere where you have this groundswell of, of public support. So there's a lot that comes with that cultural challenge. And I think most people knew that Greg had a unique skill set and the experience and the, you know, he had proven that he could do it, that if he came back, he knew how to build this thing from the ground up. And, you know, I believe his contract extension goes through 2030 now. Mid-season, a lot of people were already saying we really need to lock him up. I think it goes a little bit beyond with this iteration of Greg just locking him up. I think the university as a whole has really, and it, part of it may have to do with the Big Ten and some of the revenues that come in with being affiliated with the Big Ten, our athletic director, Pat Hobbs. We also have a commitment with his staff. And so he extended both his offensive and defensive coordinators when he got the extension. They're committing more money in general, both to him and to his staff. And the mood, I think, of the fan base is, and it was a little bit tough before this year because you could see the trajectory. You think you could. You, you saw the recruits. You saw the development. You saw the culture. But you hadn't seen it come to fruition on the field. This year, you get bowl eligible. You go 6-6. Six and six, And I think there's a lot of optimism and a lot of encouragement around the program right now. Yeah, and let, let's talk about that 6-6. Six and six. You know, obviously, you know, the, the extensions of that whole staff, that's such a for them to put their essentially their their money where their mouth is and saying hey mm -hmm. this is like this is our staff for the future is big but let, let's talk about what they did accomplish on the field i i i have said multiple times on this podcast i almost would say that this coaching job was better than the 2006 coaching job because of the schedule now right. it might be that might be overstating it a bit but I, I don't think people understand how good of a job this was with the way the schedule worked out. But I know it feels – it also probably feels deflating to some fans because you went over in the last four games. Um, I, I'd love for you – could you just talk about that? that what has been kind of the, the mood as the schedule has progressed and like put – put six and six in context for us, because I think the Ohio state fan that's listening is like six and six. Oh, who cares? Mm -hmm. um, even, even like the Wisconsin, maybe the Wisconsin or the Iowa fan, but help us understand the, the magnitude of six and six with this schedule for Rutgers. Sure. And, and first, you know, if anybody who's listening wants to go back to night watch and check my, my prediction video from preseason, I actually predicted every single win and every single loss accurately that Rutgers well had done. this year. Now, it wasn't a crazy feat because I think if, if you were followed the program and you kind of got the lay of the land, you could do that. But but here's how I view this six and six. And here you said it was could be deflating to some fans. I think you're right. And I think there's a couple reasons for that. One, at the onset of the schedule, we beat Northwestern and it wasn't gimmicky. It wasn't, oh, you know, we had some huge crazy plays or, you know, a, a crazy matchup problem. It was straight up in the trenches, lined up in a football game and just beat them decisively. And then we did it later to Virginia Tech. And initially, before the season, I think a lot of people within and close to the program and the fan base were saying, well, Northwestern is going to wind up being 
one of the worst teams in the Big Ten. And Virginia Tech is not going to be a great team that's necessarily going to be maybe bubble of bowl eligibility, which kind of turned out to be true. But, you know, ACC and maybe not the top of the ACC. And, you know, maybe, and I think a lot of people said the range is, you know, three wins to six wins if you're really lucky. And very few people were predicting six wins, whether they were fans or not, because it seemed like a really difficult feat. They thought, look, Virginia Tech's going to have to go your way. Michigan State's going to have to stumble and go your way. And you're going to have to take care of Indiana. And, you know, that's going to be tough. Now, I think, and I said this after the Northwestern and the Virginia Tech game, I said, look, yes, perhaps the outlook for their seasons isn't great right now, but this is a Big Ten team in Northwestern, right? This is an ACC team that's given us fits in the old Big East and every other time in our history in Virginia Tech. These are notable names. These are not slouches per se. And let's see how the season shakes out. And I also said, and I continue to say this, and I said it in my preview video, this the schedule shakes out the way it is, meaning if we had gotten... Northwestern at the end. Now they might've been a better team, you know, excluding those variables, but you get Michigan state last or Indiana last, and they're not piled at the front of the schedule. It might not feel like, Oh, we spent the entire last month of the season going Oh, and four. It might feel more like, Oh, we got six wins and six wins was always the ceiling. It just so happens that the six wins that were actually attainable for this program happened to be stacked in the front half of the season. There's nothing you can do about it. I think it was the realistic objective ceiling of the program. And I think that Everybody gets ahead of themselves sometimes like, look, Northwestern's a Big Ten program and they wound up having a good year. Mm -hmm. Virginia Tech is an ACC program who's going to a bowl. And look, you know, and I'll talk about this, I guess, more when we get to the Miami preview. Being a Big Ten team, even when we get our get smacked so often as Rutgers the last few years, there's a lot to be said for being in the Big Ten. Like those those smackings and shellackings you take from your conference mates doesn't necessarily translate when you go cross-conference and you're a formidable team going up against a formidable ACC team because you're in the Big Ten. And so I think there should be a lot of positivity around the season because of how Northwestern turned out, because of how uh, Virginia Tech turned out, and because you then took care of business with Michigan State, with Indiana. You did what you had to do. They were in the earlier in the season, but that doesn't take away from the fact that you were able to get bowl eligible, which was the next logical step in this rebuilding process for Shiano. Yeah, and I think I think you bring up a good point. This this probably feels so much different if Indiana is the last game of the season. Yes, of course, because like, then you're bowl eligible. Yeah, and you you finish and you we got the six wins. Yes, say. I'm curious too. your thought on this, how, how much of their losing streak had to do with the fact that you're stacking. Cause they, they didn't have to stack good team, like really good teams. Like Virginia tech's a decent team, six mm -hmm. and six Northwestern ended up being a, a good team, seven and five, but they had to stack Ohio state, Iowa, Penn state. Like that's, I mean, you, you put Michigan with that schedule like those three teams right in a row. And I mean, you saw, you saw it with Michigan. They had Penn state, Maryland, Ohio state, and they, they won all three, but I mean, they were all one score games. Yes. They really 
probably should have lost to Maryland. Um, it's it's tough to go back to back to back like that, and that's what Rutgers did. And, and I'm not sure people understand the difficult like the difficulty rating of that. It's not just those teams, but how in succession. And I think so. I, th- I forget. I think two teams are coming off a bye against us. One of them might have been Wisconsin. I forget if they, which the other one. Michigan State maybe we wound up, you know, coming back in that one. But we our bye, of course, was before Ohio State. Like thanks a lot. Like you could have gave us a bye against Iowa. You know, maybe we. And it was funny because that Ohio State game up until like the middle of the third quarter, we we're playing a good game, and it's at home. And I think. When you're a team like us who doesn't have that traditional depth to go toe-to-toe with with a team like Ohio State or these other programs that we stacked on, and you put so much energy, effort, and emotion into a game like that, you still decisively lose. I And I'm not – I don't know what's in the team's heads or et cetera, but you can – you go on the road to Iowa, and, you know, there's this perception, I think – and it's funny because speaking to other fans of other Big Ten teams, everybody has perceptions of everybody else, and not always accurate, right? Some of the perception at Rutgers was, well, well, our defense is playing at a high level. We have six wins under our belt. Iowa's offense is historically bad by their standards, so therefore we should be able to go in there and make it a competitive game. But I was saying from the beginning, hold up. This is Iowa, Okay. This coach has been there for years. This is a home field advantage. And this is a traditional trench superpower when it comes to lining up man on man, helmet on helmet, and and toughing out yards. We are not just going to go in there because they're having a tough offensive year by their standards and expect to manhandle them. And to your point, that was a gauntlet. And I think when you come out of expending so much energy on getting to the six wins, a, the mission of the season, yes, they're not going to say that. Shiano's not going to say it. No player's going to say that, nor should they. But as fans right. and as analysts, we can say that. That was the mission of the season. That was the ceiling. That was mission accomplished. Go six and six. Now try to win a bowl game. Uh, that's hard after you go through that, achieve that much, to now go through this gauntlet of traditional powers and expect to win. And every time you go, you have more injuries. You have more guys out. You have more, you know, bumps and bruises. You have a little bit more adversity. And, you know, it takes a lot out of you. So I think there's a lot to be said for that. And I think finishing that thought with Maryland, we have gone back and forth with them for years. But over the last several years with Tugavailoa there, you know, they've been a tough matchup for us. And when you get those skilled players on the outside with him, maybe we thought we could get to seven against Maryland. Uh, but that's a tough out to the last couple of years. And I do think the season wore on us. Yeah. As, uh, as we can do, we're, we're, we're heading towards the pinstripe bowl and kind of our analysis of that game. But before that, I, I want to just ask maybe some more future, like looking, looking ahead. One is, is just about transfers. You know, there mm-hmm. haven't been a ton of transfers yet out of Rutgers. Evan Simon, is probably the biggest one he, as the backup quarterback. He had some snaps, I believe, this season. Um, but are there any of the transfers, are they concerning to you moving forward? So, and it's interesting, you know, you with NIL and with the new transfer rules and everything, everybody's aware and every program's aware that every year you're playing 
you know, defense and offense, right? You're going after transfers that are in the portal or looking to, to, to come to you. You're also defending, you know, trying to recruit your own players again to stay with you. Yeah. And it's it's been interesting. And I to me, Shiano's consistently talking about how this is a developmental program. And some people take that as, oh, it's going to be years before we see results. That's not what he means. What he means is we're going to go out and recruit players who may not be at their best or at the highest level they can get to at the moment we recruit them, whether that's out of high school, whether that's in the transfer portal, et cetera. And he's kind of expanded his horizons now because he used to go after so many of the top New Jersey kids. Now you see him going to Georgia, going to Florida, getting kids that are more in the middle of the pack there, but he knows have a high ceiling. So anyway, it's been intriguing to me that so many of the players that he took and the staff took from developmental players who have now become upperclassmen and key contributors are staying with the program instead of going to other programs or going for the draft. Kyle Manungai, who was a thousand yard rusher for us this year, one of the best rushers in the Big Ten, is staying and returning for another year. Most people thought he was going to the draft. Flip Dixon, a talented defensive back, He's staying for another year. Uh, talented offensive lineman, uh, Holland Pierce, who was another developmental player, huge guy, but needed to hone his athletic skills, staying with the program. Evan Simon, you mentioned he was a backup quarterback this year. He had a few snaps against Wisconsin, looked good in those snaps. Uh, that was because Gavin Wimstead had gone down with injury. Gavin came back. Uh, Evan Simon is a, is a fairly accurate passer, a good team player, a talented uh, young man. He's going to Temple. But I think that was expected. I think the job was Gavin's all offseason and the season. If you're a kid like Evan Simon, you want to play. You want to be a starter somewhere. We expected that. Probably the, the one that maybe is the most impactful at this juncture might be Aaron Young, who was a backup running back, always had a ton of potential, uh, good pass-catching running back, decent size, but he was hampered by injury a lot. And when you have Kyle Manungai coming back as the unquestioned starter, and then you have a, a talented running back like Sam Brown behind him, uh, who is from Philadelphia, and he looked really good last year, but this year also was dealing with injury. I think the writing's kind of on the wall, uh, so I, I'm not surprised Aaron is leaving. Uh, I'm not surprised Evan is leaving. At this particular juncture, I'm actually impressed and surprised that this many players are staying with the program. So, so far, knock on wood, it's kind of been good for us. And I think it speaks to maybe how they feel inside that building about the trajectory of the program. Well, and you have that, that many players coming back and like leaders, right? Yes. Like you have, I mean, you obviously have Gavin Wimsat coming back, but Manangai, what a great running back. Yes. Like he, I mean, I watched every snap of that Ohio state Rutgers game. And I was like, He's the best, at least for a good chunk of that game, was the best back on, on the field. I mean, he he did not did not take a step back from Travion Henderson, and that's saying something because he. I mean, both 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 kids were special in that game. Um, talk about real, and this is a little deviation here, but twenty twenty four, we go away from divisions. Mm -hmm. It's now an eight team. 18 team conference, a lot of, a lot of talent coming in from the West coast, but also a lot of teams that are losing a lot of people, right? You have USC losing a lot of, a lot on offense. 
Washington and Oregon are going to have to get new quarterbacks. UCLA is they're they're good, but they're not great. Um, and you're not locked in every year now with Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State. How how do you see maybe the the trajectory now that Rutgers is kind of freed from being enslaved to that that trio of death at the top of the East? I, I think it's I mean as a fan of the team, it's one of the biggest burdens I think you know that could be let off our shoulders, and I've been waiting for it for so long. And I look. Some may say, oh, you're shying away from playing the best and all that. I mean, sure. And and coaches, and I'm not saying I don't believe that if all the right things move the right way over the next however many years. But let's be honest. You know, you're going against programs that are upper echelon, blue chip programs. And to have to go into that gauntlet every year really does put a hard ceiling because say you get past one of them one year or you may, you're not getting past all three of them. It's just not realistic. And so opening up the conference by not having divisions and look, we're swapping out three of the most, you know, traditionally powerful Big Ten programs with three Western, you know, West Coast powers next year. But as you already referenced, you know, you have an Oregon, you have a Washington. They are who they are. But then you don't know what's going on with USC, UCLA, Great name, tradition, et cetera, but not year in and year out necessarily at the level of these other schools in the Big Ten. It opens up an opportunity for schools like Rutgers to have you know, seasons with more accomplishment, which who knows where that leads you in terms of bowl eligibility to which bowl, in terms of conference, you know, contending for conference titles, whether you get actually win or not, but just talk to the Big Ten West about that, right? I mean, how often do they win? But imagine if Rutgers was in the Big Ten West. I'm not taking any shots at anybody like Wisconsin or Iowa. I'm not, but just you know we would be more competitive over there whether we actually got through the the East champ or not. So to not have to be buried in the East is a good thing for the program, perception-wise, you know, ability to to achieve-wise, entertainment-wise. I think it's good for, for schools like us especially. Yeah. Yeah, I'm excited to see where where Rutgers goes, uh, and we get we get a good glimpse of them in the Pinstripe Bowl, which we're going to start talking about. So the Pinstripe Bowl is on the 28th, Tuesday, uh, Thursday, Thursday, the 28th, Thursday, the 28th, right tea, right tea day. <laughs> um, Rutgers six and six, Miami seven and five. Miami's a one point favorite. A little bit about Miami. Cause you know, we talked about Rutgers kind of limping down the stretch and it, it, for good reason, right. We, we mm -hmm. talked about that at length, Miami similar, right. They started out hot, had a big win against Texas A&M early in the season. But if you look at their last few games, you know, they had a big win against Boston college to end the season. They lost by seven to Louisville against Louisville. They lost by seven against Florida state. They lost by 14 against NC state. Uh, and then they were taken overtime by a, a mid Virginia team. Yes. You know, so Miami's been up and down. We can't ignore they beat Clemson and Clemson, despite the fact that they had a, a, a down year, they still have talent on that team. So they've, they've beaten some good teams, but they've also lost to teams where you're like, that's lost that you lost to Georgia tech. What the heck happened there? Yes. Um, and so there's just a lot. Miami is just very confusing. Tyler Van Dyke is out. Uh, he's transferring out of the program. Uh, 
Ja'Curry Brown's going to take over for him. So I, I've always, I've always said, I feel like bowl games are a lot about momentum Mm -hmm. and, and like who wants to be there more. Yes. The sense that I get, and I'd love to hear your take on this Rutgers obviously limped Miami limped. So momentum, you know, maybe is both they're, they're similar. Everybody in Rutgers is kind of rallying where you have the, the figurehead of the program from a player perspective, Tyler Van Dyke, he's leaving. And so yeah. that concerns me if I'm a Miami fan and that excites me a little bit if I'm a Rutgers fan. What is your take on this game and where Rutgers is at and, and how they match up with Miami here? Well, Zach, you have a good beat on it, as you do with most things here that, that we're talking about today. I mean, I, I feel the same as you. Quite frankly, you know, Tyler Van Dyke is entering the transfer portal. Emery Williams is hurt. So you're going with Ja'Curry Brown. Look, talented. Uh, I think he was a four-star coming out of high school talented player um sophomore i believe but when you have that much attrition in miami and i think with miami you know the expectations as a program and fan base are different mario cristobal very good coach i mean he was obviously at rutgers for a time in the early 2000s um there's some connection there um but i feel that there's a bit more of like a uh like you said, who wants to be there more? Rutgers set out this season, not only, you know, to go to a bowl, but to win a bowl, to get to six and six, not, you know, to get to six and six with the goal of getting to a bowl game, not that six and six was a consolation prize to Rutgers, right? Six and six to Rutgers was what most objective people understand to be the ceiling for this season. And to get there, they probably knew once they lost to Maryland and even going through the season that we're kind of the hometown bid for the pinstripe bowl. Not everybody in the fan base loves the pinstripe bowl. They don't like the cold. They don't like going to the Bronx, but I'm excited about it because it's up the road. I don't have to fly anywhere, do anything like that. I think the team is rallying around this bowl game. You got guys like Kyle Manungai, who a lot of people projected would try his throwing his hat in the ring for the draft. Even if he went at a lower round, you think, well, you know, look at Isaiah Pacheco. Maybe somebody will take a chance on him because look how he turned out. And he's saying, I'm coming back, and he's excited about the bowl game. And every other – like Flip Dixon came out today, and when he said, I'm coming back, it wasn't just a we can accomplish things with, you know, the D.C. Joe Harrisimiak and what they call the dark side defense next year, but I'm also looking forward to the bowl game. Like these guys in this program – want to play in this bowl game. They want to win this bowl game. And I just think Miami has talented players, especially on the perimeter, uh, things like that. But Rutgers is playing almost all of their starting team, the same iteration of the team that we saw all year. So when you have somebody playing their entire team from the season that's been playing together all year versus another team that is now being almost you know, partially reconstructed going into next year, I think it's different with the matchups. And I think there's a good energy. Now we've never beaten Miami in our history. I believe we're 0-11. So that means something too. And I think there's a lot of momentum with Rutgers right now. Yeah, I mean, you could say Rutgers is exercising their old Big East demons here, possibly. Big time. How How's team health? You know, you were talking about the whole starter, the, the starters are coming back. That by the way, that secondary is underrated. Flip Dixon, love that dude. Yes, he's so good. Beast. Uh, how 
like how would you say the team health is going into this game? So, you know, one thing, and I, I didn't mention this in the transfers because he's not transferring, he's going to the draft, but um, Max Melton won't be playing. He's one of the starting corners. So that that is a, you know, uh, considerable loss for Rutgers, and I have to mention that. Um, you have some injuries along the offensive line uh, that were impactful. Uh, Needham was a, was a solid player on the interior offensive line who's been out the entire season. Uh, but Kyle Manungai, who was banged up, looks like to be a go. Um Chris Long, a wide receiver, is out for the season. coming back next year, but he won't be a go. Uh, but most of the other skill position players, the defensive players, we obviously lost Tyreen Powell as well um, right before the Ohio State game. And he's another young man who's coming back to the program next year, probably our best linebacker. He's not going to be playing, but he wasn't playing the entire second half of the season. But essentially... With the wins and the bumps and bruises and the losing streak, you're pretty much getting Rutgers, the team coming back from a health standpoint. Guys had bumps and bruises that they were dealing with, and they're basically healed up and ready to go with the month layoff between the Maryland game and this game. So, you know, some guys missing, but they were already missing. So you're going to kind of be seeing a full-strength Rutgers team as best you can, you know, with the season-ending injuries taken into account which wasn't that many. And you had some other players step up like a Rogers in Melton's place before the season was over. So you're, we're relatively pretty healthy throughout that team. Minus those, you know, season ending injuries that we already had several weeks ago, up to a month or two ago. So we got, we got a mostly full strength team, you know, again, the pinstripe bowl, the 28th Thursday, two fifteen on ESPN, Miami, a one point favorite. Who wins and why? I think Rutgers wins, and and that's that's I'll tell you why. And I thought about this before we even came on the show, and it kind of harkens back to our early earlier conversation tonight, which is there is a difference. And this isn't to say that every time you line up a Big Ten team with an ACC team or whatever. I mean, we've been through dogfights and we've seen other things happen. Um, just the way we played Virginia Tech this year, I know it was a long time ago. But the way this team is is constructed, two factors I think are really, really big here. One, what we already discussed, which is, you know, one team is coming in completely all in. And I'm not saying Miami's not, but really galvanizing around what they have been wanting to do from the beginning of the season. This is the goal, and it's right in front of them. The other thing is you don't realize, you know, the calluses you build up, the strength you build up, the... You know, it's like one of those things where, you know, if you see a brick and it's a false brick on the floor, you think it's a real brick, but it's made of styrofoam. And you go to pick it up. You just kind of I think that when you're playing in the Big Ten and I'm not saying we're going to whoop Miami. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, though, when you're going up against guys from Ohio State and Iowa and Wisconsin, all of a sudden you line up against a team like Miami who's talented, talented at the skill positions, was talented in the quarterback room, talented in those ways. But maybe with you at full strength, there is some level of what you're used to pushing up against is not quite at the same level as what you're pushing up against now. And Rutgers, like you just remarked, it resonated with me, kind of exercising these old Big East demons. A lot of these Big East teams are with the ACC. And if you look at us over several years, not every game has been easy. A lot have been dogfights. 
Syracuse, you know, in recent years, Boston College in recent years, Virginia Tech, we keep winning those games. Now, we'll talk another day about maybe how Syracuse's new recruiting is affecting Rutgers because there's a story there. But um, I do think that the matchup of Big Ten and kind of even if we're lower in the Big Ten East, kind of mid-tier Big Ten team at six and six against a decent maybe a little bit upper tier, but with some, with some warts ACC team, I think there's a lot of things going for Rutgers here. And it starts with the big 10 ACC matchup and it ends with the teams themselves and what their goals were this year. I think Rutgers is really charged up for attaining their goal. Whereas Miami's kind of reshuffling. And I think that'll help Rutgers get to victory. I don't know what score, how close I think we'll rely on a running game behind Manungai Like we've done all year, good defense, disciplined football and will win. The only thing that could happen to Rutgers, I do think is if they have a tendency, if the game gets out of hand, if Miami hits a couple big plays and they're not expecting what they're going to get from Jakari and there's big plays from Miami, it's going to be hard for Rutgers to keep up and match that explosiveness. But I'm pretty confident in Rutgers right now. Gotcha. And you said no, no score prediction, just Rutgers win. Uh, look, I, I'll say Rutgers wins, but I, I'll go ahead and I'll say, you know, 24 to 14 Rutgers. Okay. All right. 24, 14. Uh, I, a lot of what you're saying, I, I really agree with, especially the concern of the big play for Miami. I, I just, I really agree with you though, especially on the lines. I don't think Miami is as strong as some of these other big 10 teams that they've played. And when Rutgers has been healthy, like they have really done a good job at the point of attack on yes. defense. And you're, you're telling me that you've got a third, third string quarterback with a not great offensive line. Like that's who you're going against. Yeah. And football's like still one in the trenches. Yeah. I just don't see, like, I thought they, I thought Rutgers had a shot against Maryland because I was like, if, if bad Talia comes out <laughs> yes, and that could, which, do, which happens, it but, like, but it was good Talia that day. And that's what I'm scared of Zach too. I'm scared of Maryland. When I think of Miami, that's the one thing, but I still, yeah. I'm confident, but that's the doomsday for me against Miami. Yeah. And I, I think, I think if, I, I think if, I think if, if Rutgers is healthy, and, you know, Harris is, is, you know, not much experience, completely different spot. They're, they're not locked in. Like, I don't, I, maybe it's too far to say that they're, they're not locked in, but they're certainly not locked in like Rutgers is. And I saw Rutgers give Michigan a fight. I saw Rutgers give Ohio state a fight. Right. And I mean, they kept it close with Iowa for two and a half quarters. Right. And like, I would just, I mean, they, they just, bore you to death until they club you with a with that's a, what, a club you know i don't know that the, whatever the club is that they, they use but that's not miami and i no. i think rutgers because of their health i think common guy is big in this game and i think that the back seven comes away with a couple turnovers i've got rutgers 20 miami 17 close win but i think rutgers grinds it out in the fourth quarter to a win so Let's well, hope you're right. Let's hope I'm right for my sake. Yes, yes, yes. For for the for the sake of the Big Ten for Rutgers, yes. let's let's hope that they win. Um, Larry, thanks for joining us. Um, I'm gonna 
plug in a, in a minute uh, this, where you, they can find the show. But before I do that, just want to give you a couple programming notes. Um, Thursday, the 21st, we're going to talk about Wisconsin, Iowa, and Maryland, their bowl games. And we're going to discuss some news in the Big Ten. Tom Allen, back in the Big Ten. Didn't take long. He's uh, the new defensive coordinator for the Penn State Nittany Lions. We're going to talk about whether that's good or bad. I had my, my good buddy uh, Chris Ebersol asked, what are your thoughts on this? And I was like, I had no idea that was happening. Cool. <laughs> so I got to think about that one. Um, Tuesday the 26th, uh, we're not going to have a podcast on Christmas. Merry Christmas. Love you all. Enjoy your families. Uh, uh, worship together. You know, do all that. Don't listen to my podcast on Christmas. Uh, Tuesday the 26th, we're going to do the New Year's Six and playoff picks. And then obviously look for Larry Crane and Nightwatch on YouTube. He often records post-game on Rutgers basketball games. And you can certainly find him post-game of the Pinstripe Bowl, which is probably going to be around 6.15, 7 o'clock on uh, Thursday the 28th. So that's where you can find him. Larry, any last thoughts before we sign off? No, I would just say, hey, thanks again for having me on. And look, if you're a Big Ten fan in general, come join me on Nightwatch. But, you know, come – oh, that's the other thing. Come to my tailgate. If you ever get on a road game to Piscataway, New Jersey, contact me. Come to the Blue Lot. We have a better tailgate scene and a lot more pride and kind of a robust support than I think a lot of people really know about Rutgers. So it's great to get more exposure. Big Ten's a wonderful place to be, wonderful fan bases, excellent schools. And we're happy to be here. We respect all you guys and love it. And, you know, feel free to learn more about us and come hang out with us. Very cool. Larry, if I if I find a way to Piscataway sometime in the next year or two, I'm going to hit you up for that. So I would love it. Yeah, that'd be fun. That'd be <laughs> come fun. through, dude, definitely. Very cool. Well, hey, thanks, guys, for listening. Again, check out Nightwatch. Join Larry at the tailgate next season. And uh, <laughs> thanks for listening, everybody. Take care. God bless.